0: Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish for from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down to, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call to your God, perhaps the God you will give you a thought to us, that, he, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your, what is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him what is it that you have done for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the lord because he had told him then they said to him what shall we do what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us for the sea had grown or the sea grew more and more temptation tempt- <laughs> temptatious he said um sorry he said to him Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. Never, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back onto the dry land, but they could not, for the, for the sea grew more and more temptations against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and not not, innocent, lay, us not, lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows."
1: Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for today again, Lord. We can't thank you enough. I ask you, Lord, that you would just be with me as I uh, give your word, Lord. I am unworthy and fit with pride and sin. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would speak through me, speak for me. Help me to be a mouthpiece for your word, Lord. Help all of us, Lord, to open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, Lord. In the name of what we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. So last week we started a new series uh, on Jonah. And uh, Pastor JP uh, did a, a quick summary of what Jonah is about. And I love what he said because every time we think of Jonah, we think of Jonah and the, and the whale, not the big fish, but the whale. And so he threw something in it that, that, that needs to be a new, uh, I guess, religious term if you want to say, Jonah in the shade. Remember we were talking about that and saying Jonah in the shade and how shade represents God's grace. And as Pastor JP and I, I uh, went through this whole book, and as I studied this book, there is a lot of shade. In a way, we can even call God kind of shady. Well, within a certain context, right? But, um, but this book is filled with shade. And we were saying that shade is a great representation of God's grace and his mercy. And it is so much in here. It's just ridiculous. It's good. It's a good type of thing. Uh, but we learned that Jonah isn't the best prophet. I, I mean, I'm not saying we'd be better than Jonah, but he's not the best one. So, if you were to get into a fight, and you would have said, "That's okay, Jonah got my back," Jonah would have probably be one of those guys that are like, "I got your back, but I'm but way back. Wait, I'm gonna go pray for you, or I'm gonna go get a teacher." That that was Jonah, and it's so odd because. Every prophet you read about, you know, it, it seems to be more willing. Though there's some reluctancy, there is a willingness to do it. But Jonah completely does the opposite. prophet, but it's an amazing how he just completely does the opposite. Is there a picture? So, so the, um, the sermon today is called All Washed Up in Grace. All Washed Up in Grace. What's that? Put that picture of my, uh, of my father, that next picture. Th- this, this is a picture of my father um, after a tour with a guest who, you know, apparently it's his fraternity brother. But before my father was a tour guide, he was a band director at a Rivers Middle School in Charleston, for those who know Charleston. Uh, and being a band director in those days in Charleston, you, have a, you could have a lot of influence and a lot of status. Not only that, but my father was part of several social uh, groups. He was part of the symphony orchestra, he was second chair, you know, and so many people knew him. So when I was bad in school, I knew I was in trouble. I knew, why? Because everybody, every teacher, every administrator knew my father. They would always come up to me and say, you Mr. Brown's son, aren't you? I'm like, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. In middle school, the band director knew my father. And the principal was his fraternity brother. In high school, the band director knew my father. I wanted to run and hide. You see, I wanted to run and hide because I wanted to be out of his presence. I wanted to be out from his influence because I was tired of walking on eggshells. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Here, Jonah is running and and hiding to escape the presence of God. Yet, he found Jonah. And and the, the thing about it, he didn't judge him for his disobedience. Instead, he showed him grace. He showed him shade. And every believer can know God's grace by how grace gets into your business, how grace opens your eyes, and how grace rescues your life. Let's look at the first point. Grace gets in your business. If you look at verse 1 one and 2, it, Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh to speak out against it. So hopefully it can, it, they would repent, right? And if you know anything about your history, your, your, your Bible history, the, 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 the Ninevites were enemies of the Israelites. They were Assyrians. And so eventually well, you find out that the Assyrians conquered Israel and, and no Israelite, no Jew in their right mind would logically be caught dead in the city of their enemy. Nobody, it, 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 it makes sense, God. You know, and so Jonah was like, I'm not trying to preach to those dirty Ninevites. They don't deserve God's grace, you know what? Jonah was like, God, you can kick rocks. I'm not trying to do what you want me to do. Again, I said, you know, most prophets would obey God, but Jonah constantly does the opposite of what God says if you notice a conjunction, the, conjun- the conjunction but comes up a number of times signifying Jonah's disobedience. And it seems to go back and forth between him and God, right? God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. But Jonah gets in a boat to Tarshish. But God heard a storm. But Jonah goes to sleep. One thing I learned is that near Uh, uh, Ancient Near Easterners believed that gods or goddesses had a limit influence, sort of a jurisdiction. So basically, Jonah was wanted in 50 states, and he was trying to go to Mexico. And it seemed to make sense, right? Because every god and goddesses had a temple and a specific land for a specific people. Even the temple of Jerusalem was a place where the presence of God was, right? So Jonah should have known better. He should have known better that God doesn't have a jurisdiction. But when you're in sin, you don't think that way. That is why, if you look at verse 3, it says, Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. He believed that if he gets far enough from God, he could escape his presence, his influence. So he tries to, to go to Charshish, which is in Spain, 2,500 miles away. From God. Jonah believes free in the presence of God will bring him some kind of peace. Think about that. But the truth is, it's actually going to bring him trouble. If you skip to verse four, uh, quick, you know, real quick. And look at verse 5, to, 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 to be even further removed from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says he goes into the innermost part of the ship and falls asleep. Now, this is important. I had to look this up. This type of sleep is not a sleep of being tired. You know how we sleep, I'm going to take a nap because I'm tired. No, this was a type of sleep that, that, that was said to be a fruit of carnal security. Now, What does that mean? It means that Jonah was secure and content in his sin. He was fine. But when you go back to verse 4, this is where God's grace gets into the business of Jonah. Now think about that good sleep. Everybody here has had that good sleep. Not that sleep, but that sleep sleep. You know that sleep that, that, that you sleep so well, that you snore yourself awake, and you'd be like, oh, snap, I was snoring, but you wake up and was like, man, that was kind of good. That sleep was, or oh, oh, that sleep when you wake up and your face is all marinated and you're trying to wipe it all away, and you're like, man, that was some good sleep. Everybody knows that kind of sleep. That's that Jonah sleep, if you want to say. You know, it, you know, in that Jonah sleep, it, 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 we, we get, we, we will get mad if we're waking up. Imagine having a good sleep and you're waking up with something that has nothing to do with your business and that interrupts your fruit of carnal security. Think about that. God literally interrupts his sleep with grace, though. Though Jonah doesn't deserve it, here are some elements of grace. The storm, if you look at verse 4, the storm, the ship was not instantly destroyed. And God could have taken it away. Another is verse 6. Jonah, God could have let Jonah die in his sleep. He's a disobedient man. Wouldn't it be fitting that God does it? It's only just. But the Bible says Jonah was woken up by the ship's captain. The captain is like, what are you doing asleep? How can you actually be asleep in the middle of a storm? And if you notice, the captain uses the word, arise. This is the same word that God used to Jonah when he first called him, arise, get up and go to Nineveh. God is reminding Jonah of something. And it's amazing that the ship captain says this, he says, perhaps your God will save us. So go pray to your God. This goes along with the theme of the book of Jonah. Jonah is to arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it and preach a message that perhaps God might save you. This message of grace. Jonah has disobeyed God. And it would be by God's grace that perhaps, perhaps he would save them. It would only be by grace, perhaps. Think about all the stuff we've done. And we go to sleep and we wake up. God doesn't have to do it. Though Jonah is disobedient to God, God gets in his business with these acts of grace, reminding him of his calling to preach a message of grace to wake up a people that are asleep from a man that sleeps. That's grace. If you know me, you know I am a proud geek. I love comics. I love video games. Now, I'll tell you, you, a geek? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I wear it on my sleeve. I love comics. I love video games. I love anime. I don't care. I love it. I love Marvel. I love DC Comics the most. For my Father's Day uh, gift, my wife bought me an omnibus comic book. It, it's a, it, an omnibus book is a certain uh, number of comic issues in one large book. So it's about this thick. And I even let Pastor J.P. see, and he's like, man, this is crazy. And he's like, this is heavy. And I said, I know, you can lift weights with this thing, right? And people would ask me sometimes, people would ask me, you know, uh, about comic book uh, movie adaptations. And and I think for the most part, they're good. So, for example, I, I tell people if they desire a more comic but this is when I get into my geeky mode and I'm talking to the rest of the geeks and you know we we we're, we're just having a great time and, and and they say and I tell them if you desire more of a comic book adaptation of Batman I tell them to look at the Zack Snyder's Ben Affleck's Batman that's the best one if you tell me otherwise you don't know the lord <laughs> but if you want a more realistic Batman I guess you know you, I, I tell them to look at the Christopher Nolan Uh, version. I think uh, the best Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy was The Dark Knight. And there is a scene uh, where there are all these major mobsters in one room, and they're hiding and running from Batman. And there is a guy who who could put them all away, this one accountant guy. And, And so he further removes himself from the influence and the presence of the Gotham Authority by going to China. But the Joker walks in and tells him he might outrun the influence and the presence of the Gotham Authority, but Batman has no jurisdiction. And in the words of Joker, he will find him and make him squeal. And I know the squealers when I see them. How are you running or hiding God's presence? Are you running from a call in your life? How many of us don't want God to get in our business? How many of us are in that Jonah sleep, not wanting God to interrupt my security? For some of us, instead of obeying God, we would rather run from the presence of God so that we can live a life as a false, comfortable. Christian life. What does that look like? Well, there are times we might seek out churches and Bible studies or specific speakers and persons or preachers that affirm our comfortable life. Some of us have callings that that we run from because it isn't in our plan. Lord, I got my blueprint. Does it match it with mine? Well, we can't have that. Some of us are afraid. A well-known pastor... Uh, named Dr. Tony Evans, did a sermon on Jonah. It was called Jonah the Rebel, God Used, Part 1. And this is what he said. I love this. He said this, running from God costs you. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you help. It costs you peace. It costs you joy. It costs you sense of well-being. It costs you progress. It costs you unity. It costs you harmony. It can cost you mental stability. If you belong to God, he will find you. He has no jurisdiction and he will always be in your business. It will always be for some an inconvenience. But let me tell you, he doesn't do it to be a jerk. He does it because he loves you. He wants to be in your business. He wants to interrupt you because he loves you. Think about this, instead of judgment, God's grace interrupts the stability of sin in our lives. This grace not only opened the physical eyes of Jonah, but it opened the spiritual eyes of these sailors. And it takes me to my next point. God's, excuse me, grace opens your eyes. Look at 7 through 10 in your Bibles. So Jonah is up. He's woken up and the boat is rocking and it's crazy. He's up with these sailors and and it's clear that these sailors, these Phoenician men, uh, it's clear that they are religious men. They know this storm isn't normal. Something ain't right. I've been on a boat for 20-something years. This storm ain't right. They believe someone has angered the gods, right? So the Bible says they cast lots. Now, Casting lots doesn't tell them what God is causing the storm, but it tells them who in that group has angered the gods. And so John was probably like, oh, snap, I'm about to get found out. Then, And then when they find out, that person must explain how they angered the God and how we should appease this person, appease this God. So what they did is they, they would take an item, that belongs to you. Maybe a button or or some glasses. I I don't think they had glasses back then, but something. They would take a piece of your shoe or a coin or something that belongs to you and I I guess they would put it in some cup or some jar and how the item fell, how it landed, would determine who offended the gods. Think about this. This process wasn't truly nothing magical or mystical. They thought it was. It was a system of probability. Because why these gods that they pray to aren't real. It was a matter of physics. These sailors are not living in truth but in a lie. They're believing a lie because their eyes are not open. So they're playing a guessing game. They don't really know. We don't know what's right. We're guessing. We think if it falls you then it's you. Verse 7 it says the lot fell to Jonah. Now think about this. God uses their system of probability, their system of lies to open the eyes to what is true. To what is true. Later on, we'll find out that these men became believers. Thus, they do not need, there is no need for this faulty system of lies because their eyes were open to truth. They don't need to live there anymore. Jonah is well aware, well aware of the truth of God. Not only does he tell them, but he testifies about God. I'm Jonah, I'm a Hebrew, but I serve the God. You can imagine him preaching. I serve the God of heaven, the sea, and the land. He tells them the truth. If you notice in verse 9 and 10, now think about this. They don't question the credibility of Jonah's God. Now, I say this because Yes, they believe everybody might have a God that is superior over some things, but Jonah is saying his God is superior over all things, which is true. They didn't question, no, your God can't be God over all things. But they don't question it. They don't question that credibility. But what they do question is the credibility of Jonah. Because Jonah is not reflecting truth. He's reflecting a lie by running and hiding from God. So they become upset with him, become afraid because Jonah told him what he was doing. And they were like, why would you do something like that? But we all do, don't we? To them, it means judgment. These sailors are now under the judgment of another person's disobedience. And let me say this, running from God always affects others around you. Always affects others around you in some way. You might not see it, but you might. Now, one element of grace is revealed here in verse 9 in that Jonah testifies who God is through the testimony of Jonah. Through the testimony of Jonah, God opens the eyes of these sailors, and God doesn't have to open the eyes. He doesn't have to. God didn't have to reveal truth through their faulty system that reveals more lies. Also, God is not obligated to anyone, let alone these sailors who are clearly idolaters. This was an act of grace. Again, Though Jonah is disobedient by grace, God uses him to reveal truth, reminding Jonah of his call to preach a gospel message of truth to a people that live a lie from a man that lives a lie. Again, that's grace. This is a picture of my elementary school, old elementary school, where... Well, Rivers Middle School was right up the street. Again, everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew my daddy I had to go to his school. But this is James Simmons Elementary School in Charleston. It's been renovated completely. Uh, It was a huge school. It it had a huge yard inside. It it was so big that they literally built two life-size train cars and a life-size tracks to place the cars on. It was huge. Today, the yard would be problematic. Th- there were at least three entrances. Two were unmonitored. Anybody could walk on or walk off. But it was the 80s, right? It was the late 80s. No one thought that way. You know, there were no teachers in the yard. I mean, it was crazy how big it was. I mean. Sometimes fights broke out, two or three. We had these dangerous throw-up football games, people getting hurt. We had wall peg, where, it, it, where you could peg somebody else, and we had karate matches by the monkey bars. It was weird, but it was sort of a controlled chaos because when the principal would get on the, on, on, on the, uh, on the speaker, they still have speakers? They still do speakers? No? They, I don't know who remember the speakers, but the principal would say, No more kung fu in the yard. And we're thinking, how did he see that? Somehow somebody saw it. No more football in the yard. That's how he would talk. No more kung fu in the yard. But that's that's the way it was. It was great. And there was one student, one student named Demetrius. Demetrius was a habitual liar. He was the lion king. Yeah, he would tell stories about how he drunk hot sauce or how he jump kicked his mom out the window. All, his father kicked him in his lip. and But, you know, we were in second grade, we're thinking, nah, you lying. And one day, Demetrius was being picked on. Demetrius mentioned to these students, if they kept picking on me, I'm going to go get my daddy. We were very confident he was lying. Even I, being a bystander, looking at him like, Demetrius, you ain't going to get your daddy, man. You lie about everything. In the middle of the argument, Demetrius disappeared like Jesus in the crowd. And this dude actually left the yard. Remember, you can leave. He left and brought back his father. My, My brother always would ask me, how do you remember these intimate details? I said, I don't know. Maybe for times of sermons. I don't know, but I do. Being very young, this... This event was very surreal. He actually brought his father. He walked on the yard without going to the principal's office or anything, signing in in the middle of the yard in front of all these students. And from our perspective, his father was a six foot two dressed in striped button down black slacks with, black, with dress shoes. He kept his hands in his pocket like he was some businessman. And from his dress, you could tell he was a regular white collar worker. What really stuck out to us, though, in our minds, was that Demetrius' father was Hispanic. We never seen nothing like that before. It, that was the first time we realized, wait, Demetrius is biracial. Or we would say, that boy Mix. And those boys who were picking on Demetrius, well, his father cursed them all out. Yes, he used those words. Put it like this, they never messed with Demetrius again. Now, the reason I'm being so detailed is because this story reveals a truth about Demetrius. We began to believe that the stories that he might have told were true. Later, it was confirmed that the stories he told were true, and they, they all looked like a stories of abuse, but they really were series of accidents that happened in his home that he sort of exaggerated. But once the truth is revealed, there was no reason to determine what is true and what is a lie. The truth reveals the lie. These sailors live in a lie. But when the truth was revealed, casting lots or guessing guessing game became irrelevant, their eyes were open. When God reveals himself, all truth is revealed and all lies are revealed as well. Would you rather live a lie or live in truth. (laughs) When the storm strikes, do we find ourselves calling out to God or do we go to our gods, our idols? Do, do, Do we call out to our politics, to our family, to our education, to food, to sex, to drugs, to entertainment, to vanity, to our ethnic supremacy? Do we call out to our religion? Do we call it to our self-righteousness or do we call the God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea? With God, we can abandon these false gods and live in truth by putting these other things under God. With that, we will know that it's God's grace that saved our lives from these false gods or from our sin. Takes me to my third point. God rescues your life. God rescues your life, 11 through 16, in your Bibles. The Bible says the storm grew worse, and they didn't know what to do. The Bible says they threw cargo over. They just didn't know. And these sailors were literally at the mercy of this God. A God. They didn't know what to think. but But Jonah knew it had to be him. He was a determining factor that could turn this whole thing around. In the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, he asked him to throw him overboard so the storm would stop. This request was a death sentence. They didn't want to do this. So the Bible says instead, they resisted the storm or tried to by rowing to land. If we just pull ourselves together and row, we can get it. This is important. They believe their salvation. Now think about this, that their salvation was based on the ability to roll through a storm that was from God. Let me say this. Disobeying God, resisting, hiding, or running from his presence will only bring calamity that leads to death. <laughs> and the damage, guess what, is irreversible because somebody has to die today. We don't have the power to find our way out of the calamity that we caused. They reluctantly end up throwing Jonah overboard, and the storm stopped, the Bible says. The Bible says that these men feared the Lord, and they they offered sacrifices and made vows. Their eyes were open to the truth that it was by grace they were saved. This is a picture of... um, What's this picture coming up? This is a picture of me in high school. I think it was on my birthday, I think. I think. I just turned 17 and we were in the band room and we didn't have practice that, we didn't have class, so we just took pictures. You know, my best friend is in the gray shirt with the hand on his head. He was being bothered by the girl next to him. But what was big in high school for us, probably still big now, was cliques. Every click clique had a name, it's still, it's still the same? When you uh, don't know, uh, our clique was called the Wild Child clique, and we're still we still consider ourselves the Wild Child clique. And because of rivalry, every clique's popularity and dominance was determined by what they did. Okay, so some might create T-shirts, some uh, you know do something crazy at the pet rally or somebody were to order pizza for their classmates. Or they could have an illegal party at the James Allen County Park, invite three different schools, and charge them $10 a head. That is what we did. (laughs) It gets worse. To be honest, when when my friends were talking about it, I'm like, nah, y'all can't pull this off. So I wasn't really part of the planning. I'm like, man, this is dumb. But they did. They made flyers, bought food, walkie-talkies, plates, utensils. They got a DJ. Somehow they even provided transportation. Somehow they were able to actually come on to the James Allen Park. I was excited. So I eventually said, hey, how can I get on board and help? So they said, hey, man, can you man the grill? I'm like, cool, I'll do that. I skipped work that day. I lied. And my boss at the time was my grandmother. So I lied to my grandmother and told her, hey, uh, I got a mandatory school event. Can I go? Yeah, baby, you can go. Do your school. Okay. I left. Others cut class. And let me let let y'all notice, our parents knew nothing about this. If my father knew, well, But it was was live. I mean, there was over 200 to 300 students. There was music, there was food, friends. As as the guys, there were girls. The wild child clique would be dominant. Everybody's gonna know us in the school. Not just our school, but other schools. It was going smooth for a couple of hours, for a few hours until a series of unfortunate events. First, we didn't know that my friend was selling weed. One of my friends was selling weed, and we were like, what? And then, what was clearly inappropriate was that we had a girl's dance-off. Yeah, yeah. Finally, of course, the occasional fight that ended the party. Our event broke so many laws that lieutenants, Police sergeants, along with regular beat cops, were called to investigate. Wild Child Click was going to jail. We were going to jail, y'all. We created so much calamity, it was nearly irreversible. See, we didn't have the ability to roll ourselves out of the storm that we created. Something higher had to save us. Luckily, there was a girl who went to our school whose father was one of the lieutenants on the scene. And it was him that saved all of us. We were guilty. We were guilty, but went home innocent. There are idols. There are idols. These sailors' idols could not free them. Neither did they have the skill as sailors. Neither did they have the power to work together to row to land. Only one thing can save them was someone had to die. You know where I'm going with this. Some of us, some of us as believers, think that our idols can free us. Some believe our morality can free us. Then some believe our intellect can save us from a state of brokenness that is irreversible. I'm here to tell you that it's only by grace in Jesus Christ that we are here today. You see, Jesus was the one that was thrown overboard to appease the wrath of God that quenched our disobedience. See, Jonah wasn't innocent, but Jesus was, He was innocent. Why did he have to go? Because of the calamity and the storm that we created. We ran from God. We wanted to hide. We were disobedient. That's why Jesus is the greater Jonah. I mentioned in my intro that I desired to run away from my father's presence. I didn't want to be by him. I didn't want to be around all that. But I'll never forget I was even bullied. Just like Demetrius in second grade, I was bullied by a born-in, Bernard Thornton. How do you remember that name? I don't know. It's just in my head. But that was his name. And Bernard once grabbed my face and created a cut on my face. And my father, as we were driving home, he saw it. Who did that to your face? I'm like, come on, Dad, leave me alone. I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. It was this boy named Bernard, yada, yada, yada. You see, my father, because of who he was in the city, he had no jurisdiction. He didn't have to go to the red tape. He had great influence. He was, he came to my rescue. A few days later, he showed up at the door. Opened it. I'm like, what's oh, my father at the door? He said, Some son put their hands, some boy put their hands on my son named Bernard Thornton. I'll never forget that. Though I desired to be away from my father, he wanted to be next to me because he loved me. He showed up at my classroom. I'll never forget it because that was the day I felt the safest. The presence of my father brought me the greatest comfort that day. And Bernard never messed with me again. Though Jonah was disobedient by running and hiding, it was God's grace that found him in his sin. God has no jurisdiction. He will come and rescue you in the place that you think God ain't going to come here. It was God that found you when you ran to your idols when you're in your shame, when you were in your pain, when you were lost, when you wanted to give up, when you had that needle in your arm, when you were on the verge of suicide. He runs after you because he loves you. He's in your business because he loves you. And guess what? He don't have to. He doesn't have to. You're the one committing the sin. You deserve to die. That's justice. You deserve it. We deserve it. I deserve it. But instead, he took those things and placed them on himself, and he went to the cross. Jesus did all of it. It was all by grace. These sailors weren't just washed up and soaked by the storm. They were all washed up in grace. Again, when the Bible Bible says when the storm passed, these sailors showed grace they begin to worship him. And we too show the same gratitude through worshiping the God of grace that gets in your business, the God of grace that opened your eyes, the God of grace that saved you. God provided the shade. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for providing the shade. Even when we ran from you. Even when we hid from you, you provided the shade, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for doing what we want to do, but bring us back because we want to be where you are. Because where you are is the joy and the peace, but where we want to be is calamity, it's death, sadness, emptiness. So bring us back to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the shade that we don't deserve. Amen.